0: All right, go ahead and open up to John 15. John 15. You know, in American Christianity, we're kind of seeing this interesting trend where uh, many are flocking towards certain churches or certain sectors of faith or certain teachers because they appeal to the masses. They appeal to the majority of people. Now, on the surface, this seems great, right? Because that means more people are being exposed to the gospel of Jesus. But the question is this are they actually being exposed to the gospel of Jesus? What we're going to see towards the latter half of John 15 today and into John 16 is that the message of Jesus isn't popular, it isn't highly regarded. It isn't widely received. In fact, what we'll see is that the gospel of Jesus, as found in Scripture, make sure you catch that part, comes with a lot of opposition, not popularity. And So the main idea for this morning is this, that the world hates Jesus and his message, but that Christians respond with perseverance. I want to pray for us and I want to pray for our time together and then we will begin to unpack these verses together. Our Father, we come this morning to look intently at your word. And I pray, God, that we would understand clearly that what you have called us to and what you have set us apart for It's not about us. It's about seeking your glory and going into the places we might not want to go and dealing with people we might not want to deal with and, and doing things that we're uncomfortable doing, but that we would do so to the praise of your glory. That we would follow the example of you, King Jesus. As we learned last week, Father, in your word, that greater love has no one than this, than he lay his life down for his friends. That this morning, as we look at opposition, that we would learn what it looks like and how we should respond to that opposition. Not opposition that simply disagrees with us in, 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 in normal practice or, or disagrees with us in our political views or disagrees with the way we choose to live our lives. But at the opposition that comes in simply being a part of the family of God and proclaiming the purity of the gospel. That we would see what it looks like to be a true disciple, but that we would also see what it means to to live as a true disciple and how we deal with hardships as they come. That we would learn what it means to, to see clearly the truth of Scripture. And to be able to identify the things that are contrary to it. so that we could proclaim a light, the light into the darkness. So this morning, I'm asking, Father, that you do a few things for us. That you challenge us through the call of the gospel to be light bearers, to be sacrificial not to earn merit but because we have already been shown grace to be loving without condition but also that you would encourage us Father to know that as we prayed earlier that you he who began a good work in us will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ And that there is nothing in this world that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus. That we are more than conquerors. So we have to live a life of spiritual worship. Live a life that reflects the glories of Jesus. A life that did not stop when he was tortured and mocked and beaten and crucified. But he pressed on for the glory of the gospel. So that sinners like me could be pulled from the pits of hell. May we also, Father, be emboldened today. That the message of the gospel not simply be a word we say, but it would be a life we live as we're transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we ask that you be with us this morning, that your Holy Spirit would speak, that you would be honored and glorified mightily. In Christ's most glorious name we pray. Amen. Starting in John 15, verse 18, we see first the opposition. The definition of opposition is this, the act of opposing, resisting, or combating, antagonism, hostility. Jesus begins verse 18 with a very bold and in-our-face statement. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me Before it hated you. If the world hates you. So we first have to establish, like, who is the world? What what are we talking about here? Remember Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The world here is every person who has ever existed. We are the very definition of the world. Why? Because we are by nature children of wrath. Scripture says that because of one man's sin, all have sinned. And outside of the grace of Jesus, we are the world, which means we hate anything that opposes us, namely Jesus and the gospel. And in this particular case, as Jesus is talking to the disciples, preparing them during this farewell discourse, he's about to leave, he's about to go to the cross What we see is there were a certain group of people who absolutely despised Jesus because he was threatening their power. He was threatening their prestige. And it's easy for us to look at that and their hatred toward Jesus and their wanting him dead and say, but that's not me. But in fact, when we deny the call of the gospel, when we deny the very call that Jesus has set us apart for, then we're doing no different. We're completely disregarding Jesus. We're completely disregarding his authority. We're completely disregarding his holiness and his righteousness and his goodness. And we're saying, I don't care what you say or what you think. I am going to live life on my terms in my way. And we hate anything that opposes us. What we see here is that Jesus is preparing them for great opposition. He knew his death was coming. He knew that he was wanted. He knew that he would be murdered. And he was preparing his followers for that. And in preparing his followers for his death, he's also preparing them for the life that they will have to live after he's gone. So he begins to instruct his disciples that if he's hated, then if they truly follow him, they're going to be hated as well. Same for us. If we are true disciples of Jesus, if we're truly proclaiming the gospel of Christ, then we will be hated. We will face hardships. We will face persecution. But what we notice is this, that in verse 19, that even though all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, there is a remnant. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would have loved you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So God in his grace has called some out, chosen some out to not be included in the world's ranks so that we could live for him in his glory to proclaim his goodness to the ends of the earth. And what we see here is that it's solely by God's grace that we are saved. Remember, we were enemies of God, haters of God, children of wrath, antichrist. But Ephesians 2, 4, God in his great mercy has Saved us by grace we have been saved. We're not saved because of the good within us. We're not saved because of the merit we try to earn. We're not saved because of what we do or what we give or or how we act. We're simply saved because of the goodness of Jesus. There is no special privilege. And when we're saved then, we we no longer fit into the world's ranks. So then... We're not loved by them. We're actually hated by them and we become their enemies because we are in Christ. So then what we see is this, that Christians, those chosen by God, the called out ones are unique. We're washed clean of sin and shame and God begins to work in us and transform us into the image of Christ. He begins to sanctify us. He saves us and then sets us apart and he begins to work in us and through us. By his grace and for his glory. Simply put, we're not who we once were. We're different people. Second Corinthians 517 says this, therefore. Why does it say Therefore. It says that because we have just come off of this part where it's talking about the ministry of reconciliation on how God, through Christ, has reconciled us to himself. That we were totally separated from God, and there's no way we could come into the fellowship and family of God without some help, and that is the help of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so he falls down into verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old is passed away, and behold, the new is come. And I know these verses are not up there, but I want you to hear this. He goes on in verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Not our works, but through Christ. And he gave us then that same ministry of reconciliation. That is, verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world, the haters of God, to himself. And he's not counting our trespasses against us. And he's entrusting to us the message of reconcil- reconciliation. Therefore, like the same word, because we are in Christ, because we have been reconciled to God, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God and then also in verse uh, first Peter chapter 2 we find this starting in verse 2 only verses 9 and 10 are up here but starting in verse 2 like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have For it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Jesus is that cornerstone. Verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. But here's where it gets meaty. Verse 9. But you. Talking to the ones who have trusted in Christ. Talking to the ones who are no longer in the worldly ranks. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people for his own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now check this. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And he goes on in verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. We are his. We are his. The the one who has created all things, who spun universe after universe after universe into motion, who created all. Every solar system who created every planet, who created every star, who created every person that would live on each planet, who puts the lungs within our chest, who puts the brains within our heads, who puts the heart within our chest, who makes us live. We are his. And for some of us who trust in this good news that Jesus has come to reconcile us to God, We are redeemed. And because we are his, because we are redeemed. We are, and we will be. Hated. He's simply trying to let them know, like they're about to kill me. And if you associate with me, then guess what's next? They're coming after you. Because they despise the good news that I am bringing. Why will they hate us if they hate him? They hate Jesus. They hate his message. And they will hate us because we stand with him against all things that oppose him. So as the people of God, we defend him. We defend his word. We defend his character and we defend his people. By wielding the sword of truth, by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus... And so I want to encourage you today to not fall in line with the world's twisted morals, with the world's false agendas, with the world's worship of creation over creator, with the world's worship of self over Christ. Everything we see and everything we hear tells us the opposite of the gospel, and we're so inclined to just listen because it feeds our soul. That's what we want to hear. That's what we, we enjoy hearing, but it's so anti-Jesus. It's so anti-gospel, and, and we have forgotten what it means to study the Word of God, to read the Word of God, to know the Word of God, that we absolutely are oblivious to those false messages. And so we quickly say anything that parades itself as Christian is Christian. And we wave the Jesus flag without understanding that it might not be proclaiming Jesus at all. Pull up the top ten Christian best-selling books and see if they actually proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Pull up the top ten Christian worship songs and see if they're actually proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Or if they're more about our relationship with him and how how much I can receive. Folks, we have to be careful. And that was just a little side note. To not fall in line with the world's teaching because we're not part of the world's ranks if we have trusted in Jesus. In other words, the people of God, as the people of God, we believe the Bible and we stand against evil. So another side note, if your morals, if your views, if your life are more in line with the world than in Jesus. You need to do some serious self-examination. Because there is a hard truth that we must profess and we must proclaim. There is coming a day when we will stand before the creator of all things and we will give an account. And guess what's not going to work in that day? But I listened to that stuff. I read those books. I put myself in the category of Christians. I went to church some. I gave occasionally. I even served. Remember Jesus said that there are going to be many on that day who come and say, but Lord, didn't we, you fill in the blank, in your name. And he's simply going to turn to the Father and say, depart from me, I never knew you. See, folks, Christians are called to follow Jesus. And following Jesus in our day has been grossly watered down. It's not all about peace and health and prosperity and happiness. May I remind you where Jesus is going when he tells them this. He's on a beeline to the cross where he would be arrested for crimes he never committed, where he would be tortured, as Psalm 22 says, as a worm in front of men. He would be mocked. He would be beaten. He would be murdered. Why? Because his message opposed ourself. See, Jesus doesn't call us on some easy, fun-loving vacation. Absolutely not. He calls us to a life of self-denial. Not self-worship. And he calls us to take up our cross daily. Which, in case you may forget, is the very thing that could possibly kill us. And to take that cross up and to follow him. That's what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. To not do what we want to do. Maybe it's not fulfilling our wildest dreams. Maybe it's not having the things we've always wanted. Maybe it just calls us to simply get out of our comfort zones. Is following Jesus easy? Absolutely not. But ultimately, that's what we're called to do. And as we're called to do that, and we declare our allegiance to Jesus, we will be hated. Look at verse 20. True followers of Christ will be and are hated because of our allegiance to Jesus. But here's an odd thing. How do people know if we're in allegiance to Jesus? If we look exactly like everyone else. See, our lives are to be radically different than the world. Flip over to Romans 12. It's definitely not an unfamiliar text. We have looked at this over and over and over again. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers... Again, he's writing to Christians. He's not writing to the general public at this. He's writing to followers of Christ. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, before I go on, I want you to know this. This was written right before Paul's life ends. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your what? Your spiritual worship. Our worship is laying ourselves down for the cause of Christ, for the glory of Christ. So how do we do that? Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, which is the hearing and the feeding of the gospel, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Yesterday was a great example of that. Seeing people from 15 different churches come together, working together for one cause, one name, the name of Jesus. Were there people there that we would have disagreed from a theological standpoint? On some, on some probably more minor issues? <laughs> Absolutely. Were there people that worship differently than we do? Yeah. But do they submit to Christ Jesus? Yeah. Did people meet Jesus because of our work yesterday? Yes. And it was a beautiful thing. I am terrible with taking pictures and using social media, so I took nothing. I told Allison when I got done, I was like, well, there you go. I took no pictures. I forgot. But being able to look at all the people who did and to see their stories on Facebook and Instagram and to see the work that was taking place was absolutely glorious. And here's what was so beautiful to me. There were four main groups with different projects. It wasn't four groups made up of people Who all thought the same. I mean the small group. Subgroup that I was in. Had people from. Four different churches in it. And we were able to pray. With some elderly ladies. And we were able to serve. By cleaning yards. And there were people serving by hosting kickball and handing out food. There were people who were serving by praying with business owners and, and patients at the nursing home. And there were people who were serving by going into jails and prisons and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And I believe that there was a lot of fulfillment of Romans 12 yesterday that I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Not conform to the pattern of the world, but transformed by the renewing and the renewal of our mind. To submit to Christ, to glorify Him, So what do we get from that? That the gospel changes who we are, changes how we live, and it changes how we think. And as Jesus is exposing them to the opposition that he's facing and that they will face, and for us, that we will face, we ask the question, why is there such hatred towards Jesus? Look at verses 22 and following. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. In other words, if they had no idea of the holiness of the Father, and if they had not heard the gospel message, they would have never known that they were in that case. But, he says in the latter half of verse 22, but now they have no excuse for their sin. We see that in Romans 1, right? There are none without excuse. It goes on in verse 23. Whoever hates me hates my father also. So they can't get by with saying they love the father but hate the son. That don't work. Verse 24. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did... They would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. So why is there such hatred towards Jesus? Because Jesus peels back and exposes the horrible nature of our sin. The light of the world comes in and he shines into the darkest of hearts and he reveals the ugliness of sin within each and every one of us. And you might be thinking, well, how is that such a bad thing? Let me ask you this. Last time someone called you out on sin, how did you respond? Were you like, man, thank you so much for sharing that with me. you're, You're exactly right. Or was it like, wait, who are you to be? See, again, that's our nature, right? To fight back because we don't want to have the darkness of our lives exposed. We don't want to be called out on our sin. And Jesus goes far and above that and exposes the very darkness of our hearts. And that exposure leads to hate. But here's the truth. If you are truly... And, and I, and I underline that in my notes. Truly a follower of Jesus, you will be hated by the world. You will be. We will be. We will face persecution. Even in the buckle of the Bible belt. You go door to door and you proclaim the gospel of Jesus and see how welcomed you are in every circumstance. And so that, asks, that, that question kind of leads to two other questions. The first question is, question is, are you hated? Do you face persecution on a daily basis? That's a hard question to ask, isn't it? I almost didn't want to write it out because I didn't want to have to answer that question myself. And the second question is a play off of that. If we are, how do we respond? How do we respond to opposition? See, ultimately that's what Jesus is doing in the latter half of 15 and going into the beginning of chapter 16 is he's letting them understand like it's not if, it's when you're hated, when you're persecuted that you respond in this way. And that leads to the second half of sermon this morning, and that's our response. See, the, the Christian's response to worldly opposition is to press on. Look at verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Jesus is telling his disciples that when the helper does come, because remember, I've already promised him, and I don't go back on my promises. When the helper comes and he is coming, he's going to bear witness about me. Now, if the helper is going to bear witness about him, we need to ask this question, right? Because how is the helper going to exist here? The helper is going to exist in the lives of those who confess Christ. See, the promise was that God would send his Holy Spirit to live within those who profess Jesus. And if the Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying, is going to bear witness, then what does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit bears witness through us. So are we bearing witness? Because that's our job. That's our calling, right? Again, Ephesians 2, we're saved by God. Ephesians 10 for God to do his work which he is prepared and we do that we bear witness by the help of the holy spirit living within us so what does it mean to bear witness is it to be a good friend is it to share pithy quotes is it to read christian literature Bearing witness is the call to expose sin in people's lives and their desperate need for saving grace. And that's not easy to do. It's not easy to go to someone that we know or don't know and say, you know what? I believe the Bible. And the Bible tells me in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And that we desperately need Him to save us from the wrath of God that's to come. You think that's going to be a popular message? Absolutely not. I remember in high school, we went on a mission trip to Maine. And we had done door-to-door ministry before, but here. But we went to a whole nother world. We had people cussing us and threatening our lives because we simply wanted to invite them to church and share the good news of Jesus with them. We had a lady threaten to sick her like mighty vicious dogs that she was holding back on us if we did not get off her property quickly. What's our response? We press on. Why? Why? Because that's the call of God. But here's the big issue with that. And I want you to know that I am talking to me just as much as I am sharing with you. We're very good at exposing other sin without ever looking at our own. We We have been extended the most gracious gift of all. And we are extremely hesitant to extend that grace out to others. So it starts with me. And the way it starts with me is that I must never cease to see myself in light of God's holiness. If I ever do that, then I forget the ugliness within. It's easy to put myself on a level that I don't deserve being on. A level that's only meant for the Son of God himself. And so I have to learn to confess my own sin. And in doing so, then I begin to call others to confess as well. You want to see something beautiful, be in a situation where you can confess your sin to someone and you call them to confession and see God work. at the end of the day, who am I? Who are you? If you have trusted Christ, this is who we are. We're a filthy, rotten sinner saved only by the grace of Jesus. We look at people with malice and hatred and scorn because they believe certain things or they say certain things or they act certain ways or they do certain acts. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're the same person. But for some reason that only God knows. He extended his grace to us. And then he just says, do likewise. Let other people know. And so when we are doing the work that God has called us to do, when we are looking at sin, when we are exposing sin, when we are trying to look at our own lives and, and calling other people to repentance, I want to remind you this, that we are to look at others and ourselves through the lens of Christ. Not our own crafted lens, but the lens of Christ. I come across this quote from a Puritan. His name is Thomas Watson. He said, a sight of God's glory Humbles. the stars vanish when the sun appears. When we see ourselves in light of who God is and we begin to just meditate on the glory of God, there's no room for arrogance and pride because we're reminded of how gracious God has been to us that we very easily could have been included in that group of verse 18. That if the world hates you, instead of being the you, we could have been the world. And we could have been left in that state. Again, Ephesians 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And first peter once we were not a people but now we are god's people why so that we can just kick back and relax and enjoy the beauties of living in god's green earth absolutely not now that's a byproduct of doing the work of god we get to enjoy those things those are good gifts but that's not the aim that's the gift of serving a great king. So as I begin to see myself in light of Jesus and the grace that he has shown to me, his riches and mercy, I what? In return, I should rejoice and I go to work knowing that there are people that were just like me, that without hearing the gospel, just like I heard, then they have absolutely no hope for eternal Salvation and being in the presence of holy God. So what we do. We bear witness. And we do so because the spirit is living within us. We're not left alone to do it. He is living within us and he will bear witness and he's going to do it through us. So we tell the good news and we do everything we can. So that others may see. Jesus. I want you to flip to the book of Jude. It's very easy to miss, so I'm going to give you a hint. Go to Revelation and go one page to the left. It doesn't even have chapters, it's just verses, it's really short. When I was in high school, I was asked to paint a painting that resembled a very short part of a verse in here. And I'm so thankful for that because it's something that I never heard before. I never paid attention to. And now I just simply cannot forget it. Starting in 17, Jude. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, and the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Verse 22. And have mercy on those who doubt and here's the verse that absolutely wrecked me and it still wrecks me to this day verse 23 save others by snatching them out of the fire to others show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Verse 23, the beginning part of verse 23 has absolutely destroyed me. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Get a picture of that. Paint a mental picture. That your deepest loved one is caught in the midst of a blaze. What are you going to do? You're going to do everything within your power to get them out. That's the gospel call. That people are in the midst of a blaze. We should be doing everything we can to get them out. Now what's going to happen when we do that? We're going to get burned. It's going to hurt. It could even cost us our lives. But the good news of the gospel, the call of gospel is this. That as we proclaim Jesus, we will be rejected, but we will not stop. Why? Because as we saw in John chapter 13, we've already been promised eternal glory. That for those who trust in Christ, heaven is our home. The Father's house is waiting for us. As Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To save others by snatching them out of the fire. Listen to this quote from Charles Spurgeon. You've probably heard it before, but just in case you haven't, I want to make you aware of it or remind you. He says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Let me remind you, brothers and sisters, that this is not an easy task. But there's an old saying that we've all heard before. That is, when the tough gets going, and when the going gets tough, the tough get going. We don't stop. We do everything within our power to see that everyone we know would at least hear, be warned, and prayed for. I think so often we just simply forget that eternity is real. We proclaim the name of Jesus and we say we love Jesus, but we forget that this life is like a vapor. And as soon as the breath leaves my lungs, that I will stand before God and so will everyone else. I can't make anyone accept receive and accept the gospel of Jesus, but I have a duty. You have a duty to tell them. There's a quote from, used to be one of my favorite preachers until he fell off of his rocker. But he said this, and I try not to quote people that do stuff like that, but this is a good one. He said, hell is hot and forever is a long time. And we want to chuckle at the humor there, but it's real life, people. Every day, you and I know people who die without Christ. May we have this same burning desire Spurgeon just said here, if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. And here's the danger that we boast this we're saved by grace and we rest in the grace of God. And the tendency is that we just sit on our tails and not do jack. But the gospel demands so much more. We're not here for us. We weren't created for us. We weren't created so we can enjoy life and have a beautiful spouse and get to raise children and enjoy God's creation. And do Those are byproducts and we get to enjoy those things. But that is not our purpose for being here. God did not save us for us. God saved us for himself to declare his glory to the ends of the earth so that people will know and that they can escape the grasp of hell. And it's not easy. Persecution's going to come. And when it does, we press on because the Holy Spirit is living within us. And God works to will and to do of his good pleasure in and through us. Sounds pretty contrary to what mainline Christianity is preaching, doesn't it? Watch TV and see how many of them preachers ever mention hell. Listen to the most popular literature and and songs and see if they're declaring that we desperately need the grace of God to be snatched out of the fire. I'm not trying to say that to build us up. I'm simply saying we need to pay attention. We need to know our Bibles. Not what we think the Bible says, but what the Bible actually says. That it declares us lost, broken, wretched. that God saves in Jesus. So I want to encourage you folks that following Jesus does come with great cost. I'll be real with you for a minute. I'm tired. Following the Lord is hard. The physical and spiritual exhaustion of seeking Christ and proclaiming his goodness has completely worn me out. But you know what? As great of the cost that you and I will face, the reward is so much greater. I don't know if you saw the article I had not even planned to share this but you probably saw the article I shared on Facebook that Forbes did like the nine nine or ten most stressful jobs and it had pastors at number five I actually think they were wrong but do you know that that stress is like minimal compared to the glory of getting to see Christ work? And I'm not telling you that so you can sympathize or empathize with me. I'm telling you that to let you know and to be encouraged that, yes, it's going to be hard. Not just for me, but it should be for you, too. Not not that it might be that it should be. And there's going to be times where we have to sacrifice stuff where we don't get to buy what we want because we're giving stuff away, where we don't get to go on that trip that we really want to go on because we've got to help do this or we've got to be there. And I'm telling you, that is the case and it should be the case. But the eternal promise of standing before the creator of all things and hearing, well done, my good and faithful servant, far surpasses any of the joys that we get to embrace while we're here on this planet. The reward is great. Jesus says, "Broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life." How often do we see Christians who are just cru- uh, Christians who are just cruising down the broad way? They're like on the interstate. They're afraid to go off road, or they just refuse not to go off road because it's hard. It takes longer. It's less convenient. I think one of the greatest misconceptions that we're facing in our day is that this is supposed to be some kind of easy thing. And maybe you're sitting there and be like, man, this is a terrible, terrible way to make people want to do this. Yeah, but it's so true. And if you don't know Christ, you don't even understand what I'm saying right now. But if you do, you understand the joys of what it means to labor for Christ. If we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. (laughs) You know, here's the truth, folks. When opposition comes. And it will. Many Christians, I need you to look at me, look at me real quick, because I need you to see what this. uh, If you only hear it, you're going to completely miss this. When many Christians face opposition, when hell comes to their life, when they get a diagnosis that seems impossible, when they get the news that their baby's not alive anymore, when they hear that their job is being terminated, when they realize that everything is falling apart, many Christians you see that will fall away. Because they have completely bought into the lie that this is all about us and that it's going to be easy and that it's going to be prosperous. I'm telling you that those seeming Christians are not true disciples. We need to hear and embrace the gospel of Christ in a way that radically transforms our lives. So, Christians... None of this, followers of Jesus, persevere. Run the race with endurance that is set before us. Don't stop. It's like, if you're not a sports fan, you've probably never heard this or seen it, but every year ESPN does the whole V Foundation. And there's this famous quote don't give up, don't ever give up. Cling to Christ. Hold fast to the truth that we proclaim. I want to leave you with this. There was a missionary many, many, many years ago. His name was John Payton. And he was a missionary to the New Hebrides, to the cannibals there. And there was multiple times where they tried to kill him. But there was one instance in particular Where one of the natives attacked him with an axe. He lived. And this is what he wrote. Life in such circumstances led me to cling very near to the Lord Jesus. I knew not for one brief hour when or how attack might be made. And yet, hear this. With my trembling hand clasped in the hand of that was once nailed on Calvary. And it's now swaying the scepter of the universe. Calmness and peace and resignation abode in my soul. Did you get that? How many of us were attacked with an axe this week? And that response, with my trembling hand, clasped in the hand once nailed on Calvary, and now swaying the scepter of the universe, calmness and peace and resignation abode in my soul. Folks, opposition will come to true believers. You're going to have more scars. You're going to get more wrinkles. You're going to be exhausted. Keep going. When you literally feel that you have nothing left, go more. Keep witnessing. Keep digging and rest in the sovereign hand of Almighty God. Let's pray. Our Father, may we not become complacent in our faith. May we find calmness and peace and resignation. And the hand that was once nailed to Calvary. May we be exhausted for the glories of Christ and the good of others. That your kingdom be built to the praise of your glorious grace. So may we repent. May we repent. of our lack of zeal for the name of Jesus. May we repent of our self-worship and may we rejoice in the glories of King Jesus who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. In Christ's most beautiful name we pray.